You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You graduate from Washington and Jefferson, and you send letters to, at that time, there were 28 teams in the league, right? right? So you sent letters to all 28 teams? And I got 28 rejections, and, and I sent several others to league office, management council. I think I had 51 rejections. Game time with Boomer Esiason. This week's guest is the most powerful man in sports, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell. Presented by GEICO. Although today's guest was the son of a United States senator from New York, he elected not to go into politics, although some may differ with that idea. After earning a degree in economics from Washington and Jefferson College in 1981, he instead decided to make his father, Charles Goodell, and his family proud by working to become commissioner of the National Football League. Amazingly, 25 years later, he succeeded Paul Tagalubu in that high-profile, high-pressure role. And since then, it's been quite the ride, to say the least. <laughs> it's my pleasure to welcome in Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the NFL. Roger, Thanks, good Bill. to see you, man. Thanks. It's good uh, to be with you. You know, I was reading your bio, and one of the interesting things, we're about the same age. You know, I, I wanted to become the NFL quarterback that I became. <laughs> you wanted to become, at a young age, the NFL commissioner. How, how does that become a dream that young? You know, I, something about it around high school years, I was truly in love with what Pete Rozelle did. I, I admired him so much. And he really became sort of um, a role model for me and career-wise. I felt like that was a way I could contribute because I didn't have the skills of a boomer and I couldn't play at that level. But uh, I knew I wanted to contribute to this game some fashion. And when I saw Pete and followed him, I said, that's what I want to do. And so I, I focused myself. I studied everything he did. I got every opportunity I could to understand how the business of football works. And then I just worked towards as soon as I graduated from college. Yeah, it was amazing. Washington and Jefferson College. Yes. Now, what drew you to Washington and Jefferson College? Well, I actually was interested in playing college football. And so I was, one, recruited there, but I also was thinking about Pitt. But I decided to go for the education. It was part of that decision. I hurt my knee and I said, listen, this is what I should do. I should follow my path to try to, to work for the NFL, which is really my focus. I, I wasn't foolish enough to think that I was going to become commissioner of the NFL. I know it's a hard job to get a hold of, I can tell you that. <laughs> it's harder to get that job than it was to become an NFL quarterback. Uh, you know, so you, you graduate from Washington and Jefferson, and you send letters to, at that time, there were 28 teams in the league, right? right? So you sent letters to all 28 teams? And uh, I got 28 rejections. And, and I sent several others to, you know, the league office, management council. I think I had 51 rejections. So 51 rejections, how do you ultimately get into the NFL then? How do you, how do you get into the NFL <laughs> Well, a little office? bit of it was begging uh, right. and, uh, and, and persistence. And, uh, you know, I like to say there's a fine line between persistence and, and really going over the line. 
And I just kept trying to show that I was committed to doing this and that I had something to offer, I had value, and that I wasn't going away. And finally, um, the guy who finally offered me an internship, he said, listen, it's clear you're not going to go away. Right. So we have an internship. <laughs> and he said, if you can be here tomorrow morning, we'll have an interview. Well, I was in Pittsburgh, and I said, I'll be there. So I drove all night to get there. Wow. And I got the interview. I got the internship. I also read where you were an intern for the New York Jets for a year. Yes, Did you sir. leave the league <laughs> office? You started in the league office, then you went to the Jets. Once I finished my internship, which right. would have ended in January, uh, they said, why don't you stay on? If you want to stay on as an intern, we'll keep you on. By August, uh, the the Jets intern at the time was Ron Howard, who moved to the Eagles. And yeah, they okay. said, we need somebody to fill in here. And it was middle of August. And so I said, absolutely. And so I went there. And it was one of the best experiences I had because I got a chance to be on the club level, had a chance to sort of spend time. My, my primary job was to work with the players and setting up their interviews. And the experience of being on the club level that I was able to take back to the league was extraordinary. And some of those relationships I have till this day. Yeah, it, it's amazing that you end up going from the Jets back to the league. And not only are you <laughs> back in the league, you're running the league. In October 2005, the year before Roger Goodell became commissioner, Arizona defeated San Francisco in Mexico City in the first regular season NFL game played outside the United States. Surely he noticed the 103,000 fans in attendance, and under his watch, international play has expanded considerably. And, uh, you know, from games in London to Mexico City, I guess the appreciation for American football and the mm -hmm. love of American football is out there. I mean, many of us don't see it here in this country, but you see it because you travel to these games. Uh, what has the experience been like for you? We have five games this year, four in London and one in Mexico City. And I would tell you that every year I go back, the fans are more sophisticated. They are more serious about the game. They really now fully understand the game. And I think a lot of that's due to our games overseas, and I think also media. I, you know, we're able to reach our fans now in a way we never able to in the past. Yeah, I, I, the NFL, since I played, has, has grown exponentially. It's just been crazy. And uh, I just wonder, you know, do we ever see a full-time team over there in London? I mean, is that what's coming next? Well, I don't know if it's coming next, Boomer, but I would tell you that uh, when you look at London, you see the quality of the fans and the number of fans. I think we have 15 million fans there. Uh, 24 million people watch us on television. Uh, the, the, the corporate base that you have there in the media business there, there's no question in my mind that they could support an NFL team. I think the real question still for, for me and others is that can we do it in a competitive way? Competitive not just to the team in London, but obviously the other 31 teams. Well, yeah, I would think so, too, unless you know, you'd have to add another team, right? I would imagine unless you're going to move a team. Yeah, there. and I don't think we'll expand right now, and so that's another issue is what team would play there. Um, but, you know, the it, scheduling it for the regular season, I think yeah. we could work our way through. What is difficult would be the postseason, which none of us know what that'll be. Speaking of growth, uh, you know, the NFL Network, that you are basically the father of, if you will, uh, has exploded. And what has exploded along with it is the draft. <laughs> and watching you at, on the draft, and especially now that you've gotten this thing moving around the country and you see how many fans are showing up to the NFL draft <laughs> to hear where somebody is going to play football for the next five years is nothing short of a miracle. I've never seen anything like it. Could it you is. have ever expected that? My first draft in the NFL, I think, was the year you were drafted. And, I, and I, started, I started working in, on the draft. That was part of my project, and I loved it. 
And I always believed there was potential with that draft, but I would have never imagined it would have grown like this. And, you know, I think the first big move we made were bringing players to the draft so people could actually see their reactions. Mm -hmm. The second was moving into the prime time, and now the third is, I think, you know, moving it around from city to city. It's become a huge event, has tremendous economic impact to the communities. Mm -hmm. But the most important thing to me and the thing I love the most is we're celebrating these great young players coming out of college. So we're in many ways celebrating college football, but we're also celebrating them as they realize their dream. And to be there and to be part of that moment when they get drafted, you know, that emotion that you see out there is real. I watch you guys at your drafts, and a number of you guys get booed before the draft even starts. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's a political part of your job, and sometimes you gotta make decisions that are not gonna make people happy. I understand, I think most people do. But you're opening the draft. It's supposed to be an exciting day, and then here come the boos. What is that like from your perspective? It's actually fun for me in, in many ways because they're reacting, and, and they're part of it, and, and they have the right to do it, and that's good. I would tell you the, the, the two times I remember, the year we had the lockout in 2011 at Radio City, the boos were so strong I could feel it physically. Yeah. Uh, and, and they were expressing their frustration. They didn't want to lock out. They wanted football. And yours truly was probably in the middle of that. So I, I got it. Um, and then in Philadelphia, that was quite a scene, too. With that, <laughs> that, I mean, I have 100,000 people. I couldn't even see that far. Right. But it was fun because, again, you're interacting with the fans and they're expressing themselves. And, you know, that's part of, I think, what the game of football and why people love sports is to have that opportunity. Well, so. you now you know what it feels like to be a Jack quarterback <laughs> when you're losing. Under Roger Goodell, the NFL has done an excellent job of highlighting the accomplishments of its star players. In 2019, for instance, fans were well aware of the record-breaking feats of future Hall of Famers Tom Brady and Drew Brees, which are truly amazing, as well as the exploits of rookie sensations such as 49ers defensive end Nick Bosa. And I got to say that we do have a great group of young players in this league, as well as the Drew Brees and the Tom Brady's of the world that, that do represent the past. But when you see and you shake the hands of guys like Nick Bosa and Deshaun Watson and Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes and on and on it goes, uh, what does that feel like for you as the commissioner of the NFL, watching them? It's rewarding because, you know, Obviously, everyone has an opinion about how successful they're going to be on the NFL level. That was true with Kyler this year. And to see him out there playing as well as he's playing and as quickly as they're playing. You know, it used to be the rule was you were an NFL quarterback. You had to come in and sit for a couple yeah, of years. My group wasn't smart enough. We couldn't start right yeah, away. These kids all go exactly. out there and play you right now. You have to sit and learn. Yeah. Well, these kids are going out there and they're changing the game. These guys are playing at incredible levels. And... When you see that, it's rewarding to see because that's the future of the game. Right. These guys really are changing the game out there. You know, because the game is so popular and because there are so many controversial issues that you have to deal with on a daily yeah. basis, can you actually put your head on the pillow at night and fall asleep without <laughs> having to worry about waking up in the middle of the night? You know, I, I'm so tired at the end of the day, and, you know, I, I stay up for every game. I love it, and it energizes me. So, yeah, I can go to sleep at night. I'm, I, I always worry about everything. I think of everything as competition or everything as a potential impact on the NFL. And I think that's what keeps you sharp. I think that's what keeps you on your toes. And we always focus on how do we get better. If I said to you, your job description is what? How could you explain <laughs> that in one sentence? You know, to take this great American treasure, the NFL, and make it better. And, you know, that has so many aspects to it. It's the quality of the game itself, the health and safety of our players to continue to improve that. Uh, it's making our game available to fans on every different platform and trying to make sure 
we are where our fans are or where we need to develop them, including internationally. If we keep the game strong and continue to build it, we're going to be successful for the long What's term. the most difficult part of your job? <laughs> well, I, I would tell you it's not an objective, which is to try to, to make everybody happy. Right. It's not my objective. I have to make a lot of decisions I know that are going to not satisfy everybody. But that's what you do. It's like a game official. They're going to make a call. They're going to make half the people unhappy and half the people are happy. I, I, what I try to focus on, what's best for the game, short and long term? What do we do to make sure our game continues to be successful and grows? I just wonder if people realize you work for 32 billionaires, and they all have an opinion, <laughs> yes, and they, they all want their team to be number one, and, and that is a, that's a juggling act that, that, that takes quite a magician, if you ask me. Well, the other thing they probably don't understand is that for us to really do anything in the NFL, it takes 24 or 32 votes of right. those billionaires and so they have different perspectives but that's also the strength of our league because we take those different perspectives and we work to try to find a solution that will get the 24 necessary votes and if you do you usually have a pretty good solution and that's I think that's really the strength the fundamental strength of our league I know how competitive it is on the field I can't even imagine how competitive <laughs> it is in the boardroom it's I can also imagine. entertaining y yes it is very entertaining <laughs> You know, the NFL has experienced considerable growth under Roger Goodell in two vital ways, by becoming involved more than ever with Pee Wee League football and high school and college football, and of course by showcasing itself on multiple platforms beyond network TV. And first of all, I should say thank you because I'm on the network TV <laughs> side now, not the playing side. And because of the popularity and the growth uh, and the interest in every team and every player, every coach in every situation, both on the field and off the field, I feel like you should be proud of uh, what you've accomplished here. Oh, we certainly are. Uh, you know, I think the game is more popular than ever. It's uh, people are talking about football all the time. I think it. I think it has a lot to do with where we are as a country in many times. It, we influence where things are, and football just means a great deal to this country. Uh, and we're proud of that, and we believe we're stewards of the game. So the, the, the health of our game on all levels, as you point out, right down to youth football, is really important to us. And we work with each level of football. We try to find a way to make sure that we're doing the same things on each level appropriately and to make sure the game is safe and we're teaching the right techniques because that'll make better football players uh, throughout the system uh, and even when they get to us. But the real issue in, in growth is going to be not just participation but on how we continue to build that fan base in a very quickly changing media landscape. And I'm sure a labor piece has something to do with sure. that as well. You know, Always, uh, yeah. as you probably well know, I was a very vocal player uh, rep back in 1987 right. and that uh, player strike, which was ugly all the way around for all of us they who went are, through yeah. it. They are, and, and nobody wins. I'm just, you know, I'm telling today's players, yeah. nobody ever wins by that. And that's why there has to be maybe some sort of agreement, hopefully soon. And I know that you have talked openly about how, you know, I would say confident you are that something will get done with the NFLPA and moving forward with the new CBA. How confident really are you? Well, listen, you know, we have a 10-year labor agreement that's worked incredibly well for everybody. The, I think the players have benefited by it. Uh, it's the, the clubs have benefited by it. And I think our fans have and our partners have. And so I think all of us have got a labor agreement that works. But, you know, we have to continue to find changes. And we have to consider after 10 years the world's different. So how do we change that? And how do we adapt to make sure that it works for the next 10 years. Yeah. And so that's what we're working on. There have been great discussions 
the players have made us better, uh, not just because of their performance on the field, but because of the issues that they brought to us and because of their participation and because of their input. And so that is something that we think uh, needs to continue. It's a partnership. And how do we make each other better and all benefit from that? All right. And quickly, I was just going to ask you, when you go out and see the teams and see the players individually, how, how are those discussions with those players? And do you feel like you're in a good place with them? Well, I do. But, you know, they have they bring issues. I, by the way, they you know, today's mm -hmm. communication, they call, they text, they, you know, they send me messages. They come they all, in when they do. A lot of your guys have your cell phone number. Oh, yeah. I need your cell phone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, got a, I got a few things I'll I want to send you. you. But it, and, and I love that. And I love the ability for us to have a conversation off the record. I don't tell people when people call. Right. I, I take it and I listen to it. I understand it. And they call about everything from a uniform code issue to a rule to <laughs> a, a broader issue. And that's great for us. And as I said, they make me better, but they make the league better uh, on so many fronts. And so I, I couldn't tell you, I, I am so proud of our players. I'm proud of them, not just because they're great athletes and because of what they do on the field, but more importantly, what they do off the field. I mean, you know, you're hired to protect the shield, the integrity of the game, but also grow the game. And interestingly enough, you're growing the game and the game's moving to Las Vegas. <laughs> and when I was a player, I wasn't allowed to make a uh, appearance in Las Vegas. Right. I wasn't allowed to go on a cruise ship because of gambling and everything else. And now it's become a reality in our world and right. your world especially. And you have a team now moving to Vegas. With the Supreme Court decision, it's changed. Uh, it's legal. And so we have to adapt to the environment we're in. We obviously spent a great deal of time thinking about that and thinking how the world is changing and how do we fit into it. And it's a, it's a positive in many ways, which is that it allows greater engagement and different engagement between fans and the game, and, and that's a positive. On the negative side, you just have to make sure you protect the integrity of the game. It, it, it allows for more risk to players, to officials, to the game itself that we want to make sure we're very careful with. So we spend a lot of time educating everybody in the NFL on an annual basis of what to do and what not to do. Just wondering if you uh, ever consulted with Gary Bettman because they have the Las Vegas, mm -hmm. you know, nights out there, and, sure, and they've yeah. been going for a couple of years and been very successful. Yeah, Gary and I talked about it before. Actually, the team started in Las Vegas a couple mm -hmm. of years ago, and uh, you know, he was very positive about the market and very positive about us entering the market. And I, I the early indications are that team is going to just be incredibly successful in Las Vegas. It's going to be incredibly successful there. But do you ever worry about like cities like Oakland and you know what the Oakland Raiders sure. mean to that city and what yeah. maybe the Rams meant to St. Louis before Stan Kroenke took them out to L.A.? I mean, how does that make you feel about you the do. other side of it? Listen, a relocation is never good. I'll remind you that the Rams actually started in Los Angeles, so you're bringing them home. But, yeah. uh, but it, you know, a relocation and the, that disenfranchising of the fans and the team is not a positive thing, and it's difficult. And we've had three teams that have actually been in the last several years yeah. in temporary facilities. So next year we'll be in Los Angeles with a new stadium. Both the Chargers and the Rams will be playing there, and of course the Raiders in Vegas. But yes, you never want to see that. We work hard to try to keep our teams where they are. It's a partnership with the community, and sometimes you can't get to a resolution that makes sense for anybody. I want to ask you one real quick question about the Chargers. Are you worried about their fan base in L.A.? It doesn't look like it's all that passionate the way it was down in San Diego. You can't have that kind of passion after 50 years in one year or two years. Uh, so it's going to take a build, but that's true with the Rams coming back to Los Angeles. We were out of that market for 20 years. But, you know, people spend a lot of time talking about the, the number of visiting teams that are in the stadium. 
But, you know, you can go right across the river and see that uh, with other teams. That's a reality of what's happening with technology and the way people are purchasing tickets. Mm -hmm. It's easier to get tickets on the secondary market. Well, all I can tell you is just keep growing the game, please. Yes. And at least I have and a place to talk about it. thank you for what you do for the game because it I, makes a difference and I, you know that. Appreciate it, Roger. Thank you so much to Roger Goodell for joining us today and to all of you for watching. I'm Boomer Science, and I'll see you again soon right here on Game Time with Phil Sims. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That was great, Roger. Thank you. You're the best. Thank you so much. You're awesome with that. Well done.